Father, thank you for your grace and care for us. Thank you for loving us and saving us. And ask now in the moments ahead you would settle any distractions in our thoughts and in our mind and help us to understand the work of your Son who gave us life because of his life poured out in us. So give us grace and wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mentioned last week, and again, I want to tonight about the purpose of FOF. For those of you who are starting for the first time last week or tonight, and also those who started last fall, was basically FOF is a study of solid biblical truths and then applying them. That's fundamentals of the faith. And it may sound oversimplified by saying that, but here's some food for thought for you before we jump into our workbook. Did you know that most philosophers in history have believed that if a person could acquire anything, do you know what it would be? Is wisdom. Because wisdom can basically allow him to obtain anything else. And so that particular philosophy matches Scripture, matches the Bible. Proverbs 4, 7 says this. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom in all your Getting, the Bible says, get understanding. So FOF tonight is getting wisdom and then understanding what the Bible says is really how we understand it. That makes sense? Hope it does. It's not hard to link together, but it's, but it's really true. And then understanding sound doctrine, which we're going to go through again tonight, it, it really doesn't stop there. You know the, the personality of a person plays out in how they skillfully live. Living skillfully is actually the most difficult thing to do. And there's a lot of difficult things to do out there. Living skillfully is getting along with neighbors, understanding the truth of Scripture, who He is, and following Him when we don't understand things. The more adversity we have, the more that comes out of us of what we believe. The more that what comes out of us of what we believe is what our understanding is and what we apply to ourselves. So FOF is basically, is basically that. And also, I think what's really important as a measuring rod, what really helps us with FOF, we talked about taking in doctrines, um, and I alluded to it again, but let me go further. It really is, it affects what we do. Understanding the Bible or not understanding the Bible affects what we do. The Bible says, as we think, so we are. So our behavior, let me put it to you this way. Our behavior is an extension of our belief system. What we do each day, how we talk and respond to other people, is an extension of the beliefs we have in our mind. So there's a direct correlation between what we think and how we act, isn't there? You know, for example, there could be, there could be two people standing on top of a bridge. One, one guy may say he thinks he can fly, and the other one says that he cannot fly. 
So the next step that they take has two different options. One jumps, the other one doesn't because of the belief system. So that ties in with how we think about Scripture, moral principles. I either believe what the Bible says about moral principles or I don't. My point of all of saying that here is true teaching, our fundamentals of the faith doctrines, promotes righteousness. False teaching promotes unrighteousness. Truth flourishes where it's taught and lived. Sin flourishes where sound doctrine is opposed. So you and I have doctrine. We all have a belief system. Some is stronger towards what the Bible says, some less. But we all have it. And it's played out in how we live. So that's just a simple reminder of why we're here. Fundamentals of faith is a launching point for true doctrine. That's why we get together. Okay? Remind each other of truth. So here's where we are. For those of you who have just joined us, chapter 1 was all scriptures given by God. The Bible's true. Chapter 2 is where to study the Bible to know what it says. Chapter 3 is showing that God is great, mighty, and awesome, His characteristics. That's chapter 3. Chapter 4 is the person of Christ, the man who is God and God who became a man. Chapter 5, which is tonight, is on page 41 in your workbook, the work of Christ. Why did He come? Last time we talked about the heart of the gospel, which is our memory verse for tonight in this particular chapter. Anybody want to give it off the top of their heads? Yeah, I didn't think you did. So... (laughs) It's okay. Just want to see if you're listening. For I delivered unto you of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. Last time we said this is the heart of the Gospel. It is. God doesn't want us to add to this. He doesn't want us to tweak it. He doesn't want us to subtract from it. The gospel says this. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. Linking to chapter 1, all scripture is given by God. If we don't believe the Bible's true, then we don't believe this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. How we view the Bible is how we view what the Bible says. And if we don't think this is true and there are other ways to heaven, another means to go to heaven, another religion to go to heaven, then we're wrong because we don't believe what the Bible says. Remember, we are devoted to a person. We're not devoted to a cause. We're not devoted to a cause for religion. We're devoted to the Lord Jesus Himself. Big difference. Huge difference. Because we see His work in chapter 5. Last time we talked about all men are morally evil and nobody seeks after God. We spent some time on there. Then we went to uh, not only man's need for Christ, we also looked at the cost of Christ's work. We looked at that in detail. Tonight we're going to jump to page 43 and pick up our chapter there.
the provisions of Christ. Roman numeral three. We know man has a need. We know what it costs the Lord. What are some of the provisions for his work? In your workbook, it says this. Jesus Christ came to earth to pay the price for sin. That price was his own life, which he gave voluntarily. John 10, 11, 17 through 18. His sacrifice was the only way to take away sin for all time. Hebrews 9, 12. There is no more mass. No more sacrifice to be made. No more need for Jesus to be pulled down from heaven to be sacrificed on the altar of the mass and to die. He did it once and for all. And in our notes, we're going to see six provisions, what his death accomplished. So let's look, let's look at these verses together. Um, we'll start over here with Brad and just kind of go down the row, jump over across here, jump over across here. If you want to read, you, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. We'll jump over there to Annie, over there by TJ, back to Mike and kind of work our way around to the second row, back over here and then back over there. So here we go. We're going to start over here with 1 Peter 3.18, Brad. We're looking at six provisions of what Jesus' death accomplished. Bill, you'll have Romans 5, 10. 1 Peter 3, 18. Brad, whenever you're ready. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. What did he do? Say that again. He did. And when he did, what did he do? What, what did he do? What provision did he do? He brought us to God. Nobody else could bring us to God. Our good works couldn't bring us to God. Our sacrifices couldn't bring us to God. He brought us to God. That's, a, that's his provision. Is it for the next life only? No, he brought us to God in this life too. Romans 5.10. What's the second provision? Bill, what do you have? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, will we be saved by His life? Provision 1 was He brought us to God. What's provision 2 from Romans 5.10? What did He do? He reconciled us. Okay. I can be brought to a relationship with someone who I may be in disagreement with. I can be brought there, but that doesn't mean I'm reconciled. That doesn't mean that I've been brought into a relationship that's brought together. Jesus did that. He reconciled us. That's bringing together. You ever heard in divorce proceedings there were, there were irreconcilable differences? They couldn't reconcile. The individuals had issues they couldn't bring together, be together on. Jesus brought us together. Going back to our first page in this chapter, what was it that he brought us together with God from? We were unrighteous. He brought us together so that we now seek God, those who are saved. 
instead of being universally evil, which by the way, all people are still evil, even Christians. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit to recognize that in ourselves. He brought that to us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're going to look at our third provision. What did he do? He did bring an offering. And in that offering, what provision did he make for us? We'd be right. Because we were wrong. So he, he brought us to God. He reconciled us. Brought us together. And then when he, in the reconciliation, he made us right because we couldn't on our own be right. That's the deception of self-righteousness. I can do good things to be right with God by Him giving me grace for the things that I do. Like being baptized or taking communion or doing good works, helping my neighbor. Self-righteousness deceives us into thinking because we're morally evil and we want our own way and we don't like God's terms, that's rebellion. We think we can appease Him and we can't. So we had to be made right by Him. Did you have a question for me? Yeah. Yeah, Sure. Sure. Good question. There are some people who believe that Jesus was a sinner when he became sin. That is not true. Jesus never sinned because then he wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice. What that means is he took on the sin of us sinners when he became sin for us. That's what that means. So he took our sin on himself, even though he was undefiled. And he bore the punishment for our sins so we could become righteous. There's a, again, there's a theory out there that some people believe that Jesus was a sinner. Do you guys remember in chapter 4 who we talked about? He's the person of Christ. What is his two natures? What's Jesus' two natures? This will help. Man and deity. Man and God. Okay? What was Jesus before he became a man? God. And what was, what was his nature? Perfect? Error? Have some flaws here and there? No. So when he became a man, he did not give up his deity, his nature. He was still God. Perfect. And when he became a man, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 2, his person is also perfect. He is therefore the perfect God-man. So when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He became sin for us, He took on the sin of us because we already know the Bible teaches He's not a sinner. Does that help?
mistaken one. Um, but it's really hard for me personally to picture like God turning his head on his only begotten. You know? um, and for that to understand like what actually happened, you know, like that separation. It's very hard to understand. That's the cost of the sacrifice is that it cost him a perfect relationship with his father and separation. And they'd never known that as father and spirit with the son. And so he was forsaken. And in his humanness, he cried that out. Yeah, that's, that's hard to understand, but that elevates. And that shows the power of not only what he did on the cross, but what it cost him. He left the privileges of heaven, relationship with his father among those things. That's a good question. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus became a sinner to die on the cross. Because then that then takes away and destroys his nature as God himself. John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14. Remember John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was, was God. Jesus is the living Word, manifestation of God Himself, because He is God. Scripture is the written Word. We can read it and see it. So yeah, be careful. All false doctrines have a wrong Christology. Let me say that again. All non-Christians have a wrong view of the Lord Jesus. Somewhere. They do. And we mentioned it last week. Let me mention it again. They either have a wrong view of His virgin birth, His deity, His bodily resurrection, His second coming, or they do not submit to Him as Lord. Follow the commands of the Bible. They could be wrong on all of them. It could be wrong on one of them. But if they're wrong on even one of them, then they have a wrong view of Christology. And one of those views would be His virgin birth and deity. Well, He became a sinner. 2 Corinthians 5.21, because that's what it looks like. Yes, Roy. Right. That's a great point. Well said. How do we understand those things we don't? That's really, really the doctrines of the Bible. We can't really plumb the depths of all of them and understand them, but we accept them by faith, don't we? Right. That's good. 
The Trinity is so difficult to understand, obviously. One God, yet three persons, co-equal, co-existing. Jesus, I and the Father are one, yet there's three persons in the Trinity. He was separated from the Father and the Spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? How can that be? Because He's still God. I know. Yeah, it was our sin. Mm -hmm. It was ours. Those are the first three provisions. Let's look at, back to our notes, Galatians 1, 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father? What's the provision there? He delivered us. Yeah. There's an easy word to take for granted in Christian circles. He rescued us. He delivered us. Anytime you see the word save, saved, savior, salvation in the Bible, it means delivered. Deliver, deliverer, delivered, rescued. So he brought us to God, died for us, made us right with God. He rescued us from the present age. Let's keep going. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. What do we have there? Redemption. You guys ever seen coupons that they give at the grocery store? They print out at the cash register after you've checked out? And they may have something on there. Come back for your next visit and you'll get 10% off. That's a redemption coupon. They, they want you to take it in and to redeem it. It's a, it's a buyback. They want you to come in so that you will continue to buy. It's a redemption coupon. Jesus redeemed us. He bought us. Redeemed us. That's what he did. You might see it sometimes as forgiveness of sins, or sometimes you might see it as pardoned. Sometimes we'll see that word in there, pardoned. It's basically an ex being excused from an offense in which someone has done. I'm not going to charge them with that offense or her for what she's done. That's a pardon. It's a redemption. Let's look this one up. Romans 6, 6 to 7. Let me take that, Romans 6, 6 to 7. I can do that. Knowing this, uh, uh, our old man is crucified with sin, that the body of sin might be uh, destroyed, that henceforth we, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. There you go. Thanks, Rick. That's it. What's the provision? That's right. So we're no longer what? Under the control of sin. No longer slaves to sin. That's right. No longer slaves. No longer owned by 
sin, no longer under the rights of sin. Who's the master of the slave of sin? Satan is. So he's the, the master of those who are under that particular way of life, slaves of sin. Yes, in my version, I don't know what your version says. I have, mine says, and I have the NASB, says old self. Do yours has, say nature? Mine says old man. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have a different version there in chapter 6? Old self? Uh-huh. Well, let me answer that this way, Brad. Christians don't have two natures. We are a new creation in Christ. All things have, old things have passed away. All things become new. But we do have a sin principle in us. And, you, and that principle is the body in which I live in. And you live in. Inside, prior to salvation, was a dead spirit. Ephesians 2, 1-4. When Jesus paid for my sins and somebody brought me the gospel and I believed the gospel, which I found out later, God gave me the faith to believe the gospel, even though I thought I made that decision, even though I kind of did, but I didn't. I became new, but I'm still, my spirit's now in the flesh. That's why Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. It's Romans 7:18. So that's the war, that's the self there, Brad? I just got get caught up in that wording there a little bit. It's okay. Maybe I'm going to stop using the word. Don't take it personal. They're trying to encourage you. have a board to use. You can't see it. But I wanted to give you the diagram of a triangle. That's not a triangle. Triangle. Think triangle. Okay? At the top of your triangle in your mind, you can even draw it on a piece of paper. Think, put God at the top. Come down on a line here and at the bottom there put Jesus and then make another line at the base and put believers. Okay, so you got God at the top. Jesus left-hand corner. Believer's right-hand corner. And then, of course, draw the line up to get your triangle. Okay, so bottom left, you have Christ. Run an arrow up to the top. Put an arrow that points up to the top to God. And put propitiation there. You guys with me? Christ satisfies the wrath of God when he paid for our sins. Jesus to God. Okay, at the bottom, run another arrow at the bottom to believers and put redemption. You got one up here, one here. Redemption. He bought us back. And then up 
on the right side of the triangle, put there justification. So note that there are two arrows going to believers. One from God, justified. One from Jesus, redeemed. That's our life and the provision He's made. He satisfies God's wrath. With that, He redeems us. God then justifies us through the work of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, which He was talking and asking about. In your little diagram in your head, if you still have it in your head, do you see anything in there that we had anything to do with? Now, I, I should put in there for the believer belief in Christ because we have to believe. Right? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. We're still looking at the provisions of Christ's work. Turn to page 44, and this will continue the thought and summarize some of the things that we've been talking about. That Jesus is the answer to all man's problems concerning salvation. On page 44, Christ's work on the cross and resurrection are the only solution to man's problems. That's why Peter could proclaim of Jesus, there's salvation in no one else, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If there's a verse to memorize, or you want a series of verses to memorize, that's one to memorize. Acts 4.12, classic verse. Particularly in conversations that you and I have had, or you might be having now, or will have, that Jesus is the only way. That verse can just be said without explaining a whole lot to it. He's the answer for us. Let's look at some of the answers in section one of this homework and note how Christ is the answer to each of man's problems. So this is a review, but it's a good review. Man's problems, by the way, that's Romans 3, 9 through 12. That's a great section for us to know too that we looked at. Things man is guilty of. This is what we were prior to salvation. This is what we were. None righteous. Now here's what we are. Through obedience of the one, many will be righteous. Who are the many? There. You see that in your chart? Who's the many? Believers. Notice I say that because notice it doesn't say all. That's because people believe in universalism. Everybody's going to be saved no matter what they believe. All will be saved. No. Many is not the word all. Then the scripture Romans 5.19. What we were before we were saved, we didn't understand anything, spiritually speaking. And then solution in Jesus as the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. 1 John 5.20 Did you ever, when you were, at some time after being saved, ever think, or even when you got saved, 
You know, I didn't understand that before. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that wasn't clear to me before. Yeah, how did I miss that? Or, oh, I see. Now I understand. You experience that? Spurgeon used to call that the experiences of a Christian. And he would talk about how most Christians don't like to talk about their experiences because it reflects on their own uh, personal experiences instead of what the Lord has done. But he would say things like, it's okay to remember what you experienced on the day you were converted or when you realized you were a Christian. Because I bet if we went around the room, there would be some of you who would say, I, I don't know when I was saved. I don't know when that was. And there would be some in here who would say, I remember when it was. It doesn't matter that we know when it was. It matters that we know we are. What was the experience of when you believed, you realized you were saved? And when you do remember that, the Holy Spirit gave you that understanding. That's his point here. It's always good to remember our days of conversion because we don't want to be like the Ephesian church in Revelation. What happened to them? I'll tell you exactly what happened to them. Just like in a church like ours. A lot of doctrine. Bible's taught. Need to have all of my theology in place. Need to have my biblical timeline in place. I'm a dispensationalist. I believe in a pre-wrath. Okay. Great. What happened to the people in Ephesus? They left their first love. They left the thrilling experience of when they first got saved. Or when they first recognized they got saved. They forgot. They left it. That's what can happen to us here. Restore the joy of salvation. David said that. He said, renew the right spirit in me, didn't he, in the Psalms. I bring that out because we've been given understanding. The world doesn't have it. You have something the world doesn't have. In Christ, in understanding. How do we get more understanding? I want to tie in chapter 2. How do we get more understanding? We have to read. We have to study. It doesn't just happen because I think I'd like to know more about God. Remember the example of the hand? What are the five things to have a grasp, a grasp of the Bible? I have to hear it. Read it, study it, memorize it, and what? Meditate on it. That's hard work. That's hard work. Oh, sure. Sure. What I was mentioning before when we started, what we, what we take into our thinking and what we believe, whatever that is, 
shows itself in our behavior. It reveals itself. So if we take in those five points to have a firmer grip on the Bible, if we do those five, there's more understanding. The less I do that, I lose the grip. Try to pick up your Bible with your thumb only. That's just hearing. I'm just listening. Try to pick your Bible up just by that. Okay, then, then read it. Now, that's a little better. And pick it up and so on. Understanding is gained, of course, by the power of the Spirit giving us and revealing Himself to us. As He illuminates our thinking, it becomes clearer, but we have to work at it. You know, that's one of the main reasons why there are many people who disagree with doctrine. Because there's one interpretation of every Bible passage. There's one. Because God's a God of order. You know why there are disagreements with passages? Well, first of all, everybody's a sinner, so that's a big problem. Oftentimes it's from study. Lack of study. Sitting down and reading it. Using the tools. And the more that we mine in there, It's like the world opens up. Isn't it? It's, it's, oh, I didn't, I've read that before, but I, I didn't notice it before. Or, boy, now that is clearer. So I'm encouraging you, which by the way, don't ever be forced to do more Bible work because somebody is forcing you to do more Bible work. The motivation is always the love of the Lord Jesus and devoted to Him, not because somebody expects you and me to do something they want you to do. That's not the Christian life. That's a religion's life. Okay. Man's problem. What we were, none sought after God. You see that there in number three? So the solution in the Lord was the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 Nobody seeks God unless they're being drawn by the Father to the Son after hearing the Gospel or reading the Bible. Nobody seeks God on their own without the Father drawing them. John 6.44 So we didn't seek Him even when we might have thought we were. Number five, what we were, we have become useless and in in the Lord Jesus then we became useful. Render you neither useless nor unfruitful in Christ. None do good. We were, then we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Remember, Good works verify the Christian's salvation, not as the means for salvation. You and I were created for a specific good work that God prepared 
before the foundation of the world. Isn't that interesting that he would write it that way so we wouldn't boast in our good works? The rest of that verse says, which God prepared beforehand and that we should walk in them. Doing good. Uh, slaves to sin. Now we're free from that. We talked about in Romans 8 too. We're free. You've been, we have been set free. Facing death. Now we have eternal life. John 5, 24. Facing wrath. Saved from the wrath to come. Justified by His blood. Romans 5, 9. So there you go. Those are the provisions for Christ's work. Any questions? Comments? Sound familiar? Sound good? Remember, there are no new doctrines. You and I always want to be taught old doctrines passed down to us from the authors of Scripture. Nobody has a new revelation. Nobody has a new saying. You may think, well, that's obvious. No. Why? Because unbelievers don't understand. We just made that point. They don't understand. You and I are representatives of the Lord to everybody, including our spouse, our kids, grandkids, friends, and, and neighbors. And sometimes we re represent the Lord to people in our own church because we have to talk things out. But if we can always go back to the truth, okay, what does the Bible say? What does it say? Any of you ever heard this? Yeah, that's what you think it says. Okay, you know what the, the response is? A response. What do you think it says? Can you tell me why? Not necessarily, you know what? You're all wet. That's not right. I've been told that. That's okay. I've been called worse. But the point is, you, that's the striking a dialogue and talking and listening, always referring then back to the scriptures. Okay, the motive for Christ's work. Roman numeral four. Where are we here? Um, we, uh, Eric, Eric, would you mind reading Romans 5, 8, and then Lynn, if you don't mind, John 3, 16. Let's look at God's motive because we have to know why these things happen. Why did God save men? Romans 5, 8. And if you have John 3, 16, you ready? Go ahead, Lynn. Okay, and then Romans 5, 8. Okay, Mike. Thanks. Because of what? He loved us. He loved us. Okay, He loved us. So what attribute of God is just 
demonstrated in his salvation of men in 1 Peter 1, 3. You want to go for it, Annie? Very good, thanks. What's the attribute that's demonstrated? Mercy. Okay, what's the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is? That's mercy. Grace is? Unmerited favor. Mercy, not receiving what I deserve. Yeah. Getting what I don't deserve, not getting what I do deserve. Tozier said this about mercy, quote, Every ransomed man owes his salvation to the fact that during the days of his sinning, God kept the door of mercy open by refusing to accept any of his evil acts as final, unquote. Very, very good. Do you remember David did a census later on in his days as king and he wasn't supposed to? 2 Samuel 24, remember that? Okay. God gave him three choices because he sinned. Three choices because he sinned. Three years of famine, three months of fleeing from enemies, or three days of a plague in God's mercy. Which did he take? Three days of mercy. That's right. Did that mean that God didn't deal with him and the nation of Israel and let him do that and nothing happened? No. How many Israelites did God kill? 70,000. What's the point? David knew that even when it was difficult he would rather trust in God and His mercy and take the consequences of what it would be because he knew he was always right and he'd show mercy. Mercy, that great attribute of God that doesn't give us what we deserve. Turn to page 45. Let's go back to Romans 5. Romans 5, 6, and 8. Eric, are you there? I don't want to... Well, that's okay. Mike, are you still there? Romans 5? Romans 5? Okay, could you read verses 6 and 8? Thanks, TJ. Okay, why does the author call his mercy great? Who did he die for? The ungodly. It's not like he died for people who were good and perfect. He died for the ungodly. That's why his mercy is so great. Questions on that section? Anybody?
Okay, Roman numeral five. We saw man's need for Christ, the cost of Christ's work, provision of Christ's work, the motive of Christ's work. Now the resolution and continuation of His work. In your notes, it says, Christ's death on Calvary finished His redemptive work for man. John 19.30 But salvation's story does not end there. The grave could not hold Christ. He lives and continues the work He began for us. So let's go to Romans 1.4. Okay, I've messed up the order. Where are we here? Here? Of course. <laughs> sure. Romans 1 4. And was declared to be the Son of God, the power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. How was his Christ de- declared to be the Son of God? What was it? How did he make known he was the Son of God from that verse? Yeah, resurrection. The power of his resurrection is power. Now I remember seeing my mom in her coffin. She was laying there. She looked like she was sleeping. And I remember walking up there and I was waiting for her to say, Hey, Tara, hey, how's your day? No response. She didn't move, she was lifeless. And mom had no power to raise herself up from that condition because she was dead. Jesus was dead. That's why the Bible says from our verses, he died and he was buried. He was dead. However, his declaration to be the Son of God was he rose from the dead. And so much so that if you read through the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, that whole chapter is yours and my life of what's waiting for us in heaven. That's that whole chapter. And in that chapter, it talks about 500 people saw him alive. 500. Now, if Jesus' disciples told a lie that they took his body, hid his body, how are they going to get every? one of those 500 people to come up with the same story. Somebody's going to break because a lie leads to another lie and it breaks down somewhere. What's the point? The Bible is revealing to us that Jesus rose from the dead from eyewitnesses including those 500. The power of the resurrection, he was truly the son of God. So when people don't believe in Christ that he's the only way, one of those is they don't believe he rose from the dead. One of those think that's false. Some people may think that and will think that. But the Christian believes he did rise from the dead. So everybody in here, you're by yourself. Nobody's here but you. And you're getting ready to go meet the Lord, which by the way, everybody's going to meet him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Here's the question. Do you believe in your mind that he truly rose from the dead? In your mind, 
Do you believe it? Doesn't matter what your spouse says. Doesn't matter what your kids say. Doesn't matter what your friends say. Do you believe it? That's the mark of a Christian who God has redeemed. So if you ever doubt your salvation, thinking, man, I, I sometimes even wonder if I'm even saved. Go back. Think through. What does a person have to believe to be saved? Two things. Jesus is Lord and He rose from the dead. John 10, 9 to 10. Do I believe He's God Himself? Do I believe He rose from the dead? This verse is a declaration of His power to be raised from the dead. Hebrews 1, 3. Let's look at that. After Christ made purification or removal of sins, how was He exalted? Rome, uh, Hebrews 1, 3. good. How was he exalted after he made removal of sins? What did he do? What action did he do from that verse to show that his salvation is complete? He sat down. Good. He sat down. That's why the high priest in the Holy of Holies never sat down. He would go in and he would make provision for the people Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in September. They still do it every year. He goes into the Holy of Holies in the temple. He makes the sacrifice, which is a very interesting study. But he never sits down. Jesus sat down where? Right hand of God. God on high. Really interesting, isn't it? As we look for clues like that, through the Bible. We experience spiritual death through Adam's sin. What benefit do we gain through Christ's resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22? You want to take that, Pam? Okay. What's the benefit we gain? Life, we are made alive. We were once dead, now we're made alive. In your notes it says, the Bible refers to Christ's resurrection as the first fruits. That is an Old Testament term that speaks of the first fruits of the harvest that were set apart for the Lord. When used in the New Testament, first fruits implies a pledge of more harvest to follow. Therefore, Christ's resurrection holds the promise of resurrection for others also. That's us. Letter D, now that we have been drawn to God through Christ, what is Jesus able to do? Hebrews 7, 25. What's he able to do? Intercession. Makes intercession. Another way of saying that, he intervenes on our behalf. Another way of saying that. 
Because you know you and I as Christians are being accused by Satan. He accuses the, the brethren. The Bible teaches us in Revelation. Jesus is our intercessor for that and in our prayers to the Father. Very important verse here. Very important. What role does Christ have exclusively by himself? Michael, you want that one? How many mediators? One. He's the mediator. Mary is not the co-mediatrix to the Father as taught in Catholic doctrine. She is not a co-mediator with Jesus. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the go-between for us. Exclusively to Himself. Now you know as we go through these particular verses and doctrines, it's all going to funnel down to, okay, how do I apply these things? Well, first of all, do I believe them? Then second of all, we're going to start running into people who don't believe this. We're going to start running into people who thinks there's more ways to heaven than Jesus. We're going to run into people who don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's where fundamentals of the faith comes in to remind us that our doctrine is an extension of our behavior. What we believe will come out. Sometimes good, let's be fair. Sometimes not so good. Nobody's perfect. Sometimes we say things to people about the Lord. Sometimes we don't. However, what's our pattern? What do we believe? What do we think? That's a great point to make. Yeah, if you haven't read anything from Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, that's what she's referring to. Yeah, they couldn't uh, reject it. They, they couldn't dismiss it because the case was so strong. Yeah. F. And then we'll finish up. When Jesus was going to leave... What did he promise he would do? John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Excellent. What's he doing right now? Preparing a place for us. Not that he needs time to do it. But that's what he's doing, the Bible says. And did you know that you and I have a reservation there? 1 Peter 1, 3. Reserved in heaven for you. He's preparing a place. Not for this group of people. For you individually. 
you and me. We're not dots on a map. We're individuals. He knows us individually and he's preparing a place for us. So when we go there, it'll be ready. Again, not that he needs time, but it'll be ready for us, a place for us. He knows you specifically and individually. David, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know what I'm going to think before I think it. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. Amazing. Let me encourage you that you and I have been not only been given the great gift of salvation, we've been given the Lord's instruction manual on how He thinks, who He is, and what He's going to do. The issue is two things. We know we're going to die. We just don't know when. So Paul, now is the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we going to not be ready and like the ten virgins didn't have their oil in their lamps? Are we ready? And those of you who have kids, are they ready? And those of you who have grandkids, are they ready? And so we're here to tell our kids, grandkids, friends, family, neighbors about what's coming. And if we love them, we'll tell them. And we may mess it up and we may not say the right things. But we can still talk because we can still tell them Jesus is the only way. And sometimes we might even be the John 9 person who says, I don't know, I was blind, but now I see. Here's what I know. I wasn't saved, now I'm saved. And Jesus is the only way. That's what I know. That's fine. Then maybe we can study a little bit more and then give a better answer next time. The work of Christ, it's unique, one of a kind. Next time, because of who God is, who Jesus is, the work of Him, Now we're going to enter into the doctrine of salvation and the multifaceted areas of that doctrine in chapter 6. So if you can read ahead, do do some homework. It'll really help you as we look ahead to the controversial doctrines of predestination, election, foreknowledge, and then into justification and glorification. We're going to talk about that next time. And it's really good. It's wonderful. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your Son to be the Savior of the world and to being our Savior. We recognize and thank you that we know it was you who sent him because of your great love for us. People who are unknown, insignificant to the world, but you know us. Thank you, Lord, for coming and paying for our sins. Help us to remember what you've done for us. 
and then help us to follow your ways. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to do that. Thank you for each person here, for bringing them here, all of us here, recognizing, Lord, that your word will not return void and will fulfill for which it's been sent. May you do the work in which you want it to do. Give us grace as we head our way home. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.